Hey, basketball fans, appreciate you for joining me again. Deshaun Tate back with you. You know what this is unless you've been living under a rock. Tate's take, well, of course, where basketball lives. Episode number 35. Remember that you can go and subscribe. Always doing a brother a huge, huge solid when you do that. Um, anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Red Circle. Not sure if I'm leaving anything else, so we definitely stream uh, as well as on Facebook. We stream live on um, on YouTube as well. Remember to go and subscribe and also to follow along on all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops. Again, that is at T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Now, I know that I had teased it quite a few times. I hadn't had the opportunity to see this brother in a couple of years. I'm going to get to that here in just a second, talking a little bit about the uh, NBA playoffs and previewing some games, recapping some games. We got, you know, uh, all first team, second team, third team selections and so forth. So we ain't going to take up too much of his time. We definitely want to get ready to bring him in from the green room and from the bubble uh in orlando over now into uh the locker room where we have my dude of course sean powell author writer contributor uh from nba.com follow him on social media at powell to the people at powell to the people sean i, I think the last time i had the opportunity to see you we were in vegas for summer league i don't think it was last year i think it was year before last and I just want to make sure that I be sure to mention this. I'd be remiss if I didn't that um, I, I was trying to figure out how to break into the business and do some different things. And since then, I've had some opportunities, but uh, you certainly gave me uh, some some really good advice and, and I kept it, kept it, held on to it, still using it to this day. So I definitely want to say thank you so much and thank you for joining us. Oh, anytime, man. Anytime. It's my pleasure, actually. I appreciate that. Now, in regards to some of these games that we've been seeing in terms of uh, uh, the NBA playoffs, let's start out with the one that probably everybody's talking about the most. Game seven last night of the uh, semifinals for the Western Conference. Denver comes back and erases a 3-1 deficit against the Clippers. I think everybody's big elephant in the room question is, you know, who do you blame or what exactly happened? So I want to give you that opportunity. What in the world happened with the Clippers and, and who do you place this blame on? If, if anybody, I just thought it was collectively as a unit, everybody that's involved. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, um, I mean, if you throw a dart, it's going to hit a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, you can start from the coaching. I didn't think this was Doc Rivers finest moment. And I'm a Doc Rivers fan, by the way. Uh, I just thought some of his substitutions, he, he, he had too much faith in certain players who weren't producing. Uh, you could talk about, uh, well, I, I think the one player or one person I'm going to give a pass to is Kawhi Leonard. Because up until that game seven, and actually the fourth quarter, Kawhi was the one constant that this team had. You know, Paul mm -hmm. George didn't show up certain games, particularly against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Lou Williams, you know, he had his issues his shooting issues, and if he's not shooting well, then mm. he's a liability because he's not a defensive player. Mm. Uh, Mont Montrez Harrell uh, really didn't play like the NBA sixth man winner. And, you know, again, you can go on down the line of, of that roster. So it was a collective collapse, which these things usually are. This is a team game. Uh, it's not an individual sport. And the dominoes just fell backwards for the Clippers, and now they'll have to go to the offseason season basically licking their wounds and trying to figure out what's next. 
this is one that, you know, Denver easily could have, I guess, just kind of thrown in the towel, if you will. Um, you know, but they, they one thing that I've learned in my lifetime is that it's, it's really hard to ever kind of go against a team or a player uh, that doesn't really have a lot to lose. They're playing with house money. They got the confidence uh, and they played with with a lot of pride. However, the when you're looking at these Lob City teams that they had with, you know, uh, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul and those things. Uh, and then this year's Clippers team, that common denominator, I guess, if you will, uh, is Doc Rivers. Uh, I couldn't imagine that he would be a guy that's on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but just kind of wanted to get your overall thoughts on that, because this is third time uh, giving up a 3-1 lead. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat um, in terms of off this year, but I would say he's going to be on the hot seat starting next year. If, uh, if whatever reason the Clippers uh, underachieve, uh, if they have many more collapses, if they don't get to the point where Steve Ballmer, who, uh, who runs the Clippers and who paid two, two point whatever billion dollars for them, if they don't live up to his expectations, then I think you'll see some heads roll. I think Doc and the Clippers, when the smoke is clear, you know, going into next season, I think they will get a little bit of a lifeline because this team was never really together all year. Okay, mm -hmm. and then when the bubble started, Lou Will had to leave, Montrez Harrell had to leave, and those guys really struggled upon return. So, uh, and to be honest with you, there's really nothing the Clippers can do. They really don't have any tradable assets. Uh, they gave up a, a bunch of first-round picks for Paul George. So they're pretty much stuck with this, this team, um, unless they get lucky with a second-round pick or just some sort of miracle player coming into the rotation. They're kind of stuck with this team. So I think they'll see it through. And then we'll see what happens two summers from now. Now you were down there in the bubble, Sean. Man, this thing has—I've been telling people, you know, I'm—I'm I'm this big college basketball guy and everything else. Love my NBA in high school and anything else too, but I didn't get a chance to enjoy my March Madness. However, it's kind of making up for it. We've seen like three or four game sevens in the NBA bubble already, and uh, it's kind of feeling like September Madness, if you will. Kind of. It had that feel in this game seven of like a Tyson versus Douglas almost kind of uh, feel and vibe to it. I guess Lou Williams has more than enough time now to leave the bubble and go get some of those Lou Williams lemon pepper wings, I guess. But uh, and talking about the Clippers, um, I just kind of had that feel myself that, you know, this was not really an ideal situation for Kawhi Leonard. He doesn't really not to my knowledge. I've seen a lot of the whole, you know, uh, team up type of thing, kind of control his own narrative and go for a specific market, if you will. Not really ideal for the Clippers. Uh, first field goal that they scored in the, in the fourth quarter uh, came with five minutes left. But I want to switch over now and talk a little bit about Denver, who's in the conference finals for the first time in 11 years. And Jamal Murray saying, going forward, not only does he want the respect from his media, do you give him that respect? And also mentioning previewing this Lakers for game one, uh, that's going to be taking place that they have to respect us too. What does Denver have to do or need to keep from doing? I guess same question for the Lakers in order to advance to the finals. Well, I think they have to uh, keep the same mindset that they had with the Clippers uh, that, Hey, you know what? The, the, the pressure's all on the other team. You know, uh, we're just going to play loose. 
You know, we have nothing to lose. Nobody expects us to get this. But, you know, you, you've heard all that stuff before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think um, they have to they, they have to adopt that strategy because it worked so well for them. It worked well for them when they fell behind Utah 3-1. And it worked well for them in the uh, the series against the Clippers. Uh, as far as the respect that Jamal Murray is talking about, um, first of all, as an individual player, he had my respect when he dropped those uh, 50 pieces <laughs> against Utah. So, I mean, you, if you're not a very good or borderline great player, if you know, if you do that, I mean, that that that's something that you just don't see in the NBA very often. Uh, same thing with Nikola Jokic. The one thing about Jokic and what really makes him dangerous is, yeah, he's skilled. You know, he's good around the basket, but he can find teammates, man. Yes, if you're he can. open, if you're cutting to the basket, mm -hmm. if, if you're out there in the perimeter, not only can he find teammates, and this mm -hmm. is really important, he can find the right teammates at the right time. There you time. go. There See, you sometimes go. there are some guys you don't want to pass the ball to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. What I'm saying? I guess is that what Michael Porter was kind of yeah. hinting towards a little bit. Well, you know, some of your team, you have to know your personnel. See, you're not going to throw the ball out on a perimeter to a guy who can't shoot three point shots, mm -hmm. because all he's going to do is turn the ball over or get rid of the ball. Uh, and at the same time, you're not going to throw a, a pocket pass to someone who can't finish. You know, mm -hmm. so the one thing about Jokic is he knows his teammates' strengths and weaknesses, and he finds them. He gives them confidence, helps them along, and that is so, so important. And that's what sets him apart from a lot of other big men. As far as the series with the Lakers is concerned, nobody thinks that the Nuggets are going to win it. I don't think the Nuggets are going to win it. Mm -hmm. I, I think that at this point, you know, they're playing with house money. Uh, this is a team that hadn't been to the conference finals in 11 years. This is a team that's never been to the NBA finals ever. So this is a huge step for the franchise. And also keep in mind, that most of the players in that rotation are very young. And so each step you, you take, the deeper you go in the postseason, it gets a little bit tougher. And now they've got LeBron James standing in their path. And that's why I just think they need to adopt the attitude that, hey, you know what, we're just going to go out there, play our game, no pressure, all the pressure's on LeBron, mm -hmm. all the pressure's on AD, mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens. Just curious, I know you got the Lakers uh... – beating them and advancing on to the NBA finals. And how many games do you have that? Well, I was being generous to the, to the nuggets and giving them six, okay. uh, you know, that good. well, understand this. There is one player that Denver has no answer for. That's LeBron James. Who's going to guard him? You know, mm -hmm. if, if Anthony Davis, okay, well, you know, you can probably put Jokic on him, might kind of neutralize him. Plus AD it's got to stay out of foul trouble because he's got to guard somebody who's pretty good. That's Jokic, okay? Mm -hmm. But LeBron James, I don't know how he's going to get into foul trouble because who, what what big scorer is he going to guard? Nobody. Then, then mm -hmm. you know, uh, Paul Millsap, you know, Jeremy Grant, whoever they're going to throw on him. LeBron really doesn't really have to work that hard defensively because none of those guys are scorers. Meanwhile, uh, those none of those guys are known as the defensive stoppers. So I think LeBron has a clear advantage in this series only because they don't have anyone to get. For example, if the Clippers had beaten the Nuggets, Kawhi Leonard would have been a good defensive matchup against LeBron James. Similar mm -hmm. body types, you know, championship mm -hmm. experience and all that. But um, Denver doesn't offer anybody. Now, I have to be fair also to the Nuggets. Uh, the Lakers don't have anyone to throw up against Jamal Murray. You know, they don't have a quick point guard or anybody who's going to try to limit him. 
So I see two players who should have a big series, Jamal Murray, because they don't, the Lakers don't have an answer for him, mm-hmm. and LeBron James, because the Nuggets don't have an answer for him. And, and, and lastly about the Nuggets, after going through a pair of seven-game series, it's just mm-hmm. an honest question here. How much do they have left? That takes a lot out of you. A also, lot. Uh, well, well, also consider, under normal circumstances, you, in a couple games, you would have maybe three game, three days off, maybe even four, depending on how the you know the TV schedule goes. These guys have been playing every other day for what almost mm. uh, what a month or whatever it is, about over a month, yeah, yeah, and intense games too. So I think it's a fair question: How much do you have left when you're playing every other game, and you've played six elimination games too? Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's a lot. And look, I give them credit. They're 6-0 mm-hmm. in these elimination games here in the mm-hmm. bubble, but that takes a lot out of the team. I was curious to know, coming into the bubble and resuming this season, who did this Michael Jordan, uh, uh, um, the last dance documentary, inspire the most? Competitive basketball, that competitive nature, the way that it used to be played. It's pretty clear that Jamal Murray or, or some of those guys from the Denver Nuggets uh, were definitely, you know, taking notes and whatnot and making good use of their quarantine time by getting plenty of rest because clearly they were going to be needing it and, and going into two game sevens and seeing what they've been able to do being the first team uh, ever to, um, you know, be put in three, one, three, one situations and cutting that deficit and winning the series in NBA history has been phenomenal. And I'll say this much speaking about Rajon Rondo. I mean, that situation with him, uh, coming in with the team and making it obviously look a lot different it reminds me much of Gary Harris coming back. You know, I mean, both of those guys are losing perimeter start or, or starters or players between Will Barton on one side and Avery Bradley on the other side. But being able to bring uh, Rajon Rondo and Gary Harris in the, the contribution that they that they brought specifically on the defensive side, but even more so on the offensive side, it appears to be a little bit clear to me that the actual fans in the crowd is kind of what was assisting Rajon Rondo with that broken jump shot because this dude has been lighting it up. Sean Powell, pretty awesome first name, by the way, too. Sean Powell, author, writer, contributor for NBA.com. Find him on Twitter, at Powell to the people. Uh, just a couple more minutes uh, here with us. And you know what? You're talking about putting the pressure on somebody. You putting the pressure on me, my brother. You got that soft, that monotone voice. Like you get the quiet storm type dude. I'm going to have to start working on my game a little bit. Uh, start getting my game up a little bit. On to this other series uh, where we saw last night uh, the Miami Heat take down the Boston Celtics 117-114 in uh, a thrilling fashion in overtime. Miami now leading that series 1-0. Right when I thought that Miami had met their match because essentially – these are two teams that arguably looked the most impressive at one point once the playoffs started and, and, and kind of got a couple games under their belts. What what did you see in yesterday's games behind um, Miami ultimately adding a number to the left side of the result column? And what does Boston have to do to make sure they don't go down 2-0? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, Miami is a generally a young team. I know they have Jimmy Butler. I know they have mm-hmm. Goran Dragic, but for the most Andre part, Iguodala, yeah. Iguodala. But Iguodala doesn't really play that much. He's he's sure. on the bench when it counts. Sure. Um, the the one thing I will say about Miami, mm-hmm. they've got players with cur- with basketball courage. Players who who are not afraid of the moment. 
players who are not afraid of taking a big shot. Uh, you saw Jimmy Butler, who was kind of quiet offensively for much of that game. But when it came down to it, he took the actually two biggest shots, one at the end, near the end of regulation mm-hmm. and the other near the end, end of overtime. And mm-hmm. you saw Bam Adebayo challenge, check, go up and challenge <laughs> Jason Tatum for the dunk. You know, a lot of times a player might be maybe afraid of getting posterized or the player might be afraid of picking up a foul. Um, but Miami has players like that. And when you have players like that who aren't scared, uh, then that team can go pretty far. Trust me, let me tell you something, man. Not every, not every player in the NBA wants the ball. Trust it. You know, you know what I say? <laughs> you, 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 you've heard of the pick and roll and the pick and pop? Of there course. Some, okay, well, so there are some players who, who do the pick and hide. They're going to set the pick, and they're going to go run in the corner somewhere and hope, you don't, find it, and hope you don't find them with the ball because they mm. want no part of that ball. Well, mm. Miami's got Tyler Hero. He wants the ball. They got Duncan Robinson. He wants the ball. Dragic, he wants the ball. Jimmy mm. Butler, he wants the ball. So I think when you're talking about playoff teams, you have to have players with that mindset who aren't afraid if they fail, what, you know, what's going to be on social media, Twitter, mm. what are people going to say? Jimmy Butler doesn't care what you say if he fails. And mm-hmm. because he has that belief, he's saying, you know what? I have the confidence to take the big shot because I'll take all the, all the arrows if I fail. Not a lot of players want that smoke. You know what? And I, and I agree with that. Um, and, and something I think a lot of people need to pay attention to is the fact that who doesn't love this Jimmy Butler and, and, and Marcus Smart kind of 80s style matchup where there's a lot of physicality, there's a lot of toughness, a lot of bravado uh, that is intertwined in between these guys. And they have probably been just about as clutch as anybody has really been consistently and persistently or persistently uh, over the course of the NBA playoffs. And just thinking about a guy like Marcus Smart, you know, with 26, three and one assist yesterday, 50% from the field, 50% from three, the job that he's been able to do with the, um, with the, uh, with Gordon Hayward, you know, those 17 points and not being around, hopefully they get ready to get him back sometime really soon. But uh, just kind of talking about the job that he has been able to do in that matchup between him and Jimmy Butler, because even Jay Crowder is another one. And as many people like to talk about, you know, uh, Jason Tatum being the best player on this Boston team. Honestly, it's like Kimba Walker starting to kind of look like Kendrick Nunn right about now. And Jalen Brown has probably been the most consistent guy on this team outside of uh, outside of Marcus Smart. Well, Marcus Smart is one of my favorite players because he got some dog in him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can see, again, he's got some Jimmy Butler in him. Or I guess I should pay him the ultimate order and say, Jimmy Butler got some Marcus Smart in him. <laughs> okay. Let's not get it okay. twisted then. I got you. But uh, the one thing about Marcus is that he came in, uh, when he steps on the court, he makes defense the priority. That's why mm. he made you know one of the NBA's all-defensive teams. Mm. Uh, and the other thing about Marcus is he's going to make plays – at some point, you know, if you look at his stats when the game's over, they're probably not going to be spectacular. Yeah, I know he sure. made a bunch of three-pointers in game one, but that's really not his game. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about Marcus Smart is this. When the game's over, he's going to make two or three plays that you're going to remember mm-hmm. and, and, and play a defensive stop, a strip, mm-hmm. a steal, a three-pointer. He's a playmaker, mm-hmm. okay? And you need those type of players on your team. Again, he's not scared. 
He's not scared. He's not scared of the moment. Nothing frightens him. Uh, so he is one of my favorite players. I think he is very underrated. Uh, he stepped into the role with uh, Gordon Hayward. Look, he's, again, he's not going to be a primary scorer, but sure. he can do some things that Gordon Hayward can't do. Uh, and it, look, Gordon Hayward is doubtful for uh, tomorrow night's game. Uh, he may play. Uh, he's missed a lot of time. So even if he does play, he might be a little bit rusty. And I think if Boston can get anything from him in this series, it'll be a bonus. I think with Gordon Hayward and the Celtics, I think if they get to the NBA Finals, then I can think you can see a realistic contribution from him. Because then mm -hmm. by then he'll have some games and some practices under his belt. The thing I love is Marcus Smart, you know, his defense – I think has kind of been overshadowed a little bit by his offense. I, he's starting to kind of look like the Oklahoma State Marcus Smart in some instances that I've been seeing throughout the course in the duration of the NBA playoffs. Uh, transitioning a little bit now, talking about the um, uh, first team, second team, all NBA team, uh, and, and I just want to get—I just want to see if they actually got this right. So, for the people who were not aware, LeBron, Giannis. Uh, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and Anthony Davis, first team. CP3, um, Damian Lillard, Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, and the Joker on the second team. Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, Jason Tatum, um, Butler, and Rudy Gobert for the third team. No Trey Young, no Bradley Beal. Is, is is this fair? Should this be kind of the feeling of like a slap in the face? Because I personally think Trey Young has upped his game just as much as anybody else. Is it fair for it to seem like so much of being on these teams has to do with winning games instead of being so much about individual? Well, every voter is going to bring in their own philosophy into the mix. Um, you know, some people put a priority on that. Other people put a priority on stats. Other people put a priority on whether or not you've paid your dues. And I think when it comes to Trey Young, has he paid his dues? The other thing about Trey Young is he's got to get better on the, on the other side of the ball. He's got to become a better defender for people to give him that kind of respect. As far as Bradley Beal is concerned, I mean, simply this. People really didn't see much of Bradley Beal uh, because, number one, the Wizards don't make, uh, make TV games. And number mm -hmm. two, they were a losing team. So I think mm -hmm. that, that that was a strike against him, even though he averaged 30 points a game. I didn't have a major problem with the teams. I had a ballot. I had Joker on the first team over Anthony Davis. Uh, I just think that he had a better impact on his team. I, I, but it's a nitpick. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say sure. Anthony Davis wasn't deserving. But I had Joker on the first team. Otherwise, for the most part, I think the voters get it right. And the only... The first team is the big one. You don't want to make a mistake on the first team All-NBA uh, because mm -hmm. careers are made with that. Contracts, all those things. Uh, and I think for the most part, other than Joker over Anthony Davis, that would have been my preference, but I'm not going to argue with the first team or even the second team. Just taking a quick back step, one thing that I didn't have the opportunity to ask you, Sean, is um, what your prediction was was for who you have advancing from the Eastern Conference Finals to the NBA Finals and in how many games? Uh, as it stands right now, uh, I would say uh, Boston, L.A. Uh, we'll, we'll probably do for like a, a 1980s throwback, you know, when you had the Celtics mm -hmm. and Lakers going to the Finals every year, although this is a, a, a little bit of a, a different twist because you have LeBron James here. Uh, the Lakers have been down for so many years. 
the Celtics really haven't mm-hmm. been back to the finals since they uh, had uh, KG um, mm-hmm. and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and lost mm-hmm. uh, to Kobe. Um, I can see that situation. You know, the one thing you have to keep in mind is the urgency of LeBron James. Uh, number one, he's 35 mm-hmm. years old. And, and there's no guarantee that you'll get back to this point. You know, he was hurt last year. And at that point, you know, even though he takes great care of his body, you know, sometimes fluke injuries happen. So there's an urgency on his part to win a title with the Lakers. The other reason why there's an urgency is because it's only going to get tougher next year. Uh, Brooklyn's going to be in the mix next year with, uh, yep. with Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. Yep. Get, and guess who mm-hmm. else is going to be in the mix next year? The Golden State Warriors. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're healthy. They have the number one pick in the draft, which I think they're going to flip for maybe someone like, who knows, Bradley Beal or something like that mm-hmm. and add some, add some immediate help. So I, I think LeBron knows that age is working against him because he's mm-hmm. getting older. And I think the landscape is working against him because there will be more contenders next year. And the contenders th- that are uh, for right now, they'll still be strong. Milwaukee will be back. Denver will be back. Utah will be back. Boston will be back. Toronto will be back. All those teams that are good right now, mm-hmm. they're going to be good next year. And now just add two more. And so the urgency to win now, particularly when you're right at the doorstep anyway, I think that urgency is within LeBron James. So not only do we have the same name, but we also pick the same teams to move on in advance to uh, go to the um, to the NBA finals. My last thing I got for you, one thing that you mentioned was the NBA draft. Uh, now that we know that the date is officially set for November 18th, uh, as I'm looking forward to that, probably more than any, any, anyone else, it's always, it's always selection Sunday. My mama will tell you, Sean, it's always selection Sunday and, uh, and, and, and the night of the NBA draft, don't bother him. The food is made, put it in the microwave or on top of the fridge, bag it up, whatever to keep my two big brothers from storming in there and eating up all the food. Just don't bother him. He's in there working. He's in there doing his thing. Uh, so I'm really excited about that for the 18th of, of November as well. Um, let me ask you this. In terms of what you know, who who you may know uh, in uh, coming into the NBA draft process and looking to be picked up, uh, who sticks out in your mind or, or who's best fits for any of these teams um, that you've had the opportunity to see or any other rumblings that you've been hearing around the league in terms of who a lot of people really believe in, because this isn't the NBA draft full of, you know, top heavy uh, players and so forth that we've seen in previous years is expected to be a down year. Who have you seen or been hearing a little bit about that, that some of the front offices are, are kind of high on? Well, it's a little tricky this year. Uh, not only is the draft being held late, and not only have the teams been really unable to work players out, but also sure. keep in mind that the NCAA uh, tournament was canceled. So mm-hmm. you didn't have that extended uh, look at certain mm-hmm. players that you really wanted to see how they perform under pressure, okay? Mm-hmm. And usually the, in the NCAA tournament, someone comes out of the woodwork that you really either didn't hear of before or maybe had a lightly mm-hmm. regard reputation. He catches fire. And all of a sudden, you know, he's shooting up the draft charts. We haven't had anything like that. And then you know, throw into the mix a, a kid like the ball kid. You know, he didn't even play in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. He was playing in Australia. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a couple other European players who 
you know, didn't play, um, you know, in the NCAA tournament, and we don't really know, you know, what they did uh, overseas. So this, so, and on top of that, there's not that one big, flat out consensus number one pick. So this yep. is one of the most confusing drafts that I can think of in recent memory, because it can go like a million different ways. And also consider, uh, I think I said the Warriors had the n- number one pick, they had the number two pick. And the team with Correct. the number one pick is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that mm-hmm. franchise is all, who knows what that <laughs> franchise is going to do. So, um, you know, look, it could, and, and it, I think this is the draft. If you have, say, the fifth pick, the sixth pick, the eighth pick, you might end up with the best player in the draft because you just right. don't really know how this is going to fall. That's right. His name is Sean Powell. Again, author, writer, and contributor for NBA.com. Catch him on Twitter, at Powell to the people. Um, you're, I want to make sure that I, I, I end with this. You're an author. Speak a little. Where, where can I get? Where can I pick up this book? I just and you gotta forgive me, but I learned this recently. So, w- what is the name of it or of them? Where can I pick it up? Where can the people go and pick it up so that they can get a little bit more insight on the mind of uh, inside the mind of Sean Powell? Actually, I wrote. Um, I want to say this was about several years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. A publisher came to me and said, "Hey, uh, why don't you write a book about the modern day black athlete?" You know, we've heard about the black athletes, 60s, 70s, whatever. What about the modern day and things like that? So I basically wrote a book that I titled Sold Out, how black, uh, how black athletes are winning and losing. Uh, the one thing I will say about the book, it is so far ahead of its time. It, it's a book that resonates more now than it did mm-hmm. maybe 10 years ago because of everything that's sure. going on now. Uh, so sure. I, I wish I had maybe written that book maybe two years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it would have connected a little bit better. I think it did have a connection and everything, but there's just so much more awareness now about how uh, black athletes are finally learning how to use their collective financial clout, uh, the power they have, uh, speaking out, all those sort of things I covered in the book. And you can find it on Amazon um, or uh, okay. at your local bookstore. I'll tell you what I'm going to do if you don't mind this. Um, and of course, again, if you don't mind, Shoot me a text with the address. My cousin, who I'm actually helping out, his name is Keith Tate. I've been helping him out quite a bit. Um, is a, is a, a high school coach as well as a first time dad for the last two years, uh, and an author as well. Helping him out, kind of push his book out called Black Fatherhood. And I'd love for him to uh, pick up your book. So I'll make sure I get that for him on that end. And then if it's okay with you, go ahead and grab one uh, for you as well. Uh, of one of his books, because I just just the thought of it all running together, I think that that would be uh, really really awesome. Sean Powell, thank you so much, and thank you again for not just joining us and and blessing us with your presence and your knowledge, all the beautiful work that you do, but for also the advice that you gave me. We were at summer league because I got these big ears for a reason, so trust me, <laughs> I was listening. Believe that, believe that. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, anytime, man. Um, I appreciate Sean for, for, for coming on with us. And like I said, blessing us with, uh, with his presence and, and giving us the opportunity to join us for as long as he did over 30 minutes. Uh, that's a blessing within itself. And so we're overly grateful, overly thankful. And you guys never know who you're going to get on this thing. I mean, we've had Jay Billis, we've had, uh, Jeff Goodman, we've had Seku Smith and Arthur Trish and this person and that person, Scoop Jackson, so many others. 
you never know who you're going to get right here on Tate's Take where basketball lives. Remember to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I can't say it enough. Tell your mama, tell your mom, tell your grandmama, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell everybody. Anywhere you find your favorite podcast, that's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, also streaming live where you can subscribe as well on YouTube. Tate's Take. That is Tate's Take, the podcast. Appreciate everybody for joining me. Remember to follow on social media, all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Until tomorrow, you guys know we do the final buzzer with Deshaun Tate. 15 minutes after every NBA game, we give a little bit of a recap. Uh, Appreciate you guys for coming to check that out. So for those of you who've been praying for me, for those of you who... Um, are listening live. Thank you so much. And for those of you who are going to go back and listen later uh, and subscribe and make sure you tell some people to do so, overly grateful and thankful for you to be able to do that as well. Until tomorrow um, uh, for the recap of the game, I will see everybody then. Appreciate you for joining me.